I'm doing just a little series of, of one or two pastoral issues, and sometimes pastoral issues come up, and I'd like to uh, talk about them. And because people would ask, well, I've got this issue coming up, and I wonder if the Bible's got anything to say about it. And um, one of the pastoral issues that's come up for some people, either in the workplace or in friendship groups or on social media, is criticism. And so I'm just going to talk for 20 minutes on handling criticism. Does the Bible have anything to say about this? Handling criticism. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to Mark chapter 5 and verse 24. Mark chapter 5 and verse 24. And we're going to pray. Father God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Enable us, Lord, to be equipped by everything that you teach us in order that we might be full of joy and full of the realization and the revelation of the love of God in our hearts and lives. Enable us, Lord, in all of these things, not just to be wise, but also to be gentle and sensitive and to be able to deal with the issues that come to us in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 5 and verse 24. When I was a, a young Christian, um, I, I got seriously into the gospel. When I first became a Christian, I couldn't get out of the gospels. I was in the gospels for about two years. I just couldn't, I didn't want to read anything else apart from the gospels because I was so, I just loved the gospels. But I came across this passage after being a Christian only a couple of weeks in Mark chapter 5, and it really surprised me. It shocked me a little bit um, because the disciples of Jesus appeared to be critical of him. So this is Mark chapter 5 and verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors who had sp and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch the clothes, his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? And this is the response of the disciples. <laughs> you see the people crowding against you, his disciples, aren't it? and yet you ask, who touched me? I mean, really? There's all these people pushing and pressing against you, and you're asking, who touched me? Really? And I thought, when I looked at that, I thought, if even the eternal son of the living God is criticized, what are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances that you and I might be as well? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it, and then the woman, knowing she had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from suffering. So the first point I want to make is, is that um, the Bible teaches very clearly that in life we are criticized. It comes with the territory. It is inevitable. Criticism is just there. You'll be criticized for making the right decision. You'll be criticized for making the wrong decision, and you'll be criticized for not making any decision at all. It's what happens when you live with humans. As someone wisely said, I love mankind, 
It's people I can't stand. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and see what Paul has to say um, and some of the principles that we can draw out from, from Ephesians chapter 4 just briefly. And we're going to look at verse 25. And if you, got, if you get there, just give us a shout of the page reference. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. 1175, there we are. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Now, it's an interesting connotation in the Greek with this word because in it comes the word loyalty. We need to be true with each other, but we also need to be loyal to one another. That means supporting one another, standing by each other. I don't know if you've received criticism. You can remember a time in your life where you received something from somebody and it was really cutting. In fact, you can remember it even now because it was from a significant other. It was from a parent or a teacher or somebody who was quite important to you and it's had an effect on you. And the reason it's had an effect on you is because at some point you came into agreement with it. James says the tongue is like a fire, the world of evil among its parts of the body, it corrupts the body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. The whole course of one's life. One word is like a tiny little movement of the tiller, a tiny little movement of the rudder. And it directs you away. It takes you on an entirely different course. Just one word, if you were to come into agreement with it, can redirect you quite significantly. I've not been evicted from many things in life. But I was evicted from the woodwork class at school. Um, this was due to the fact that I'd had this project where I was trying to make a table and I destroyed so much good quality wood that in the end, the project was reduced to me trying to make a bookshelf. And then in the end, it was trying to make a, a really small bookshelf. And I was trying to do it out of rosewood. I don't know if you know anything about woodwork, but rosewood's really expensive. Anyway, I ended, ended up with this delegation of um, three wise but quite angry men from the other side of the school, headmaster and two deputy heads, um, came down bearing clipboards, listing all my previous... And they stood in front of me, and this deputy head, I always remember because he's very, very tall, he stood in front of me and he said, why are you? Like that. So I think what he was trying to say is, why are you doing this to us? Why are you creating this environmental catastrophe? Rather than questioning my entire existence. But he just said, why are you destroying all of this wood? And um, I said to him, it's those tricky little joints. They seem to have got the better of me. And he said, you know what? He said, I think, because he sort of recovered himself a little bit, and he said, I think, it, wouldn't it be better if you joined the metalwork class? Because at the end of the lesson, we could remould it. And I, but the problem was, I'd only been a Christian about two or three days, and I was zealous for the Lord. And I said, no thanks, I like woodwork. Jesus was a carpenter, and I'm following in the footsteps of my Lord. And there was complete silence. 
<laughs> I'd actually silenced them. It was wonderful. And they just turned around and walked away. And, um, and I was obviously evicted from, the, from the, the woodwork class. But the interesting thing is that that incident really changed something in me because I had come in agreement, sadly, with that criticism. And by doing so, I basically, I just lost all confidence of doing things that were practical. And yet my father was a motor mechanic, and I loved things that were practical, but I, I lost that confidence. Because words which Satan wants to use can become life-changing. But they are only life-changing if they find a landing strip in you. If you allow them to find a landing strip, they can change the course of your life. The only power Satan has over us is what we come into agreement with. And there will be things said into your life that he wants you to believe, and above all, he wants you to sign a contract with them. Don't sign the contract. If it's destructive criticism, don't sign it. Not all criticism is destructive. In fact, a lot of criticism can be quite constructive. And we need to discern the spirit that it's given in. Whether somebody really is caring about that situation and wants to help you, whether they're actually publicly criticizing you or privately doing it, or you sense that they actually care. And that's an important aspect because some criticism can be destructive and controlling and others, it can be just an expression of care. And the interesting thing is that when we receive criticism, we can get really defensive and we can get really angry and defensive because we feel the criticism is rather than a statement about that particular issue, is actually a statement about us, about who we are and our personality. And that causes reaction and it causes anger. And we don't have to necessarily go into that place of feeling that our whole personality is under attack. Actually, we need to isolate the situation to just that particular situation or issue, then we'll be in a whole lot better situation ourselves. I love the joke that's told by some pastors about um, a couple who've been married for 50 years. We've only been married 25 years. And I want to say a huge thank you to you for that gift. It's wonderful. Thank you for your kindness. But this, this couple had been married for 50 years and they'd never had a single argument. And they said, why is it you've been married for 50 years and you've never had a single argument? He said, well, I'll tell you, when we left the church, we got onto a horse and carriage. And the horse and carriage drove us away from the church. We waved goodbye and we said, you know, our farewells and we were very, very happy. And about halfway up the road, the horse stopped. And so I got out, and I stared at the horse, and I said, that's one. And I got back onto the horse, into the carriage, and it carried on. By the time it got to the end of the road, it stopped again. So I got out, and I looked at the horse, and I said, that's two. And it carried on again. And by this time, it stopped the third time. So I got my gun out, and I shot it. And my wife said, why did you shoot it? Why did you shoot the horse? You can't just shoot the horse. And I said... Darling, I love you with all of my heart. I love you above anything else, but I need you to know one thing. That's one. And I think the thing is that anger actually breaks down the relationship and 
prevents us from being able to really engage with what's being said because sometimes people have got a point and it's interesting being able to sort of take that and understand what the benefit of it is. Paul says this in verse 27, verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. If someone criticizes us constructively, we don't have to take offense. And I want to really emphasize this because people can take offense over things that are said and it can damage relationships for years. You can be out of touch with members of your family for years. People leave churches because somebody says something and they've taken offense. And it could be that somebody says something to you and it is offensive. But you don't have to take offense. You have the power not to. You can choose not to. The word offense in the Greek means a trap, means a snare, or a stumbling block. I love the word, that, that idea of it being a stumbling block. Because it stops your progress, doesn't it? It redirects your course. It prevents you from going any further. An offence can actually change the course, really, of what we're doing and of our lives. But you don't have to take it. Example. This is a, an example from the pained diary of my teenage years. Reverend Spratt stood at the door of the church and shook with the hands of all of his flock, smiled, greeted, and entered into a short but polite conversation. He was a large, rotund man with brown, wavy hair and had an air of pomposity about him that seemed affected and learned rather than bred. Once all the sheep had passed under the inspective eye of the shepherd, the reverend was left standing on his own. It was at this point that I caught his attention. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, moving toward me with his robes flowing in a dramatic theatrical fashion. Don't think that you are a better person for wearing that, he said, lifting his chin and straightening his back. He was referring to a green rectangular badge with white writing which said, Jesus lives, which I'd got my mum to sew onto my black jumper. I wanted everyone to know the reality about Jesus, namely that he was alive, and I was aided by that wonderful thing called merchandise. And to Reverend Spratt, standing in full ecclesiastical clerical robes, with his bright red chasuble and multicolored stole, the badge was a brazen show of religious exhibitionism. Shamefully bringing attention to myself in a look-at-me-attention-seeking sort of way, it was his pastoral duty to nip this blatant display of religious show in the bud and expose it for what it is, preventing it from being flaunting any more in people's faces. We all dress up to go to church, but clearly this was going too far. Uh, sorry, what did you say? I asked innocently. Don't think that you're a better person for wearing that, he said. And even more insistent, at uh, this time, poking me on the badge with his forefinger. Ouch! I looked up at him in shock. Did he really just poke me on the chest? Am I right in thinking that the only adult that's ever caused me physical pain in my teenage years was a priest? I couldn't believe it. Not sure I still can. And then I turned, he turned and walked past, tugging his cassock as if to say, I will keep this place in order. 
I said to Phil, my mate who was standing next to me, that vicar has just poked me on the chest. That's physical assault, that is. Really? Yes. Well, why did he do that? Because I was wearing a badge. Well, it's just as well you're not in the scouts. Why? Well, because you'd be full of badges. He'd poach you to death. Oh, very funny. You can dress the building up and the people up as much as you like, but it's a farce if it's not in it and he's not for him. I'm not fooled by the uniform. His spirit lives in my spirit. That's how I know him. And the more I, f I, I am familiar with his spirit's presence, the more I can tell where he is or isn't. It's not what I hear them say or even what I see them do. It's what I feel when they speak to me. The interesting thing was that that offence that I felt there kept me out of the Anglican church for 20 years. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? 20 years. Because somebody had come up to me and just offended me, and I took that offence. I joined the Baptist church, so he's a fantastic recruiter for the Baptist church. Um, but um, but yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It can change the course. Don't take offence. Always address criticism on its objective merits. Don't take it personally. As someone wisely said, no issue is so small that it can't be blown out of all proportion. Weigh up the merits of it. Often when people criticise, they've got a point, and we need to learn how to agree. We can get defensive, we can get... Um, if you like, blaming others, we can get angry. But if they're right, then put it right. It's interesting that Paul goes on in verse 28 to say, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. They must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those that are in need. We need not just to respond by justifying, blaming, or being defensive, but we need, if you like, to be able to ask for clarification. To say, right, I sense, actually, this person cares. And this person is trying to help. And therefore, I need to find out by humbly asking questions. Let's find out a little bit more so we can fix it. There's different types of criticism. There's grievance criticism, where somebody has a genuine grievance and there's an issue, and they need to resolve it and talk it over with you. And there's control criticism, which is destructive. Do not let any unwholesome talk, Paul says, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so how the criticism is given is actually very important. Again, is it given critically in a public context or privately in a caring spirit or not, or in a destructive, if you like, critical spirit? I love the story by D.L. Moody, who was a revivalist preacher in Chicago in the 1930s. He said that during the week he got a letter come through the door, and the letter, when he opened it, didn't have any content. It was just had the word fool written on it. <laughs> Oh, the trials and tribulations of pastors. Just fall in large letters. And he came, onto the, he came on Sunday morning, he came and he stood in front of the congregation and he held it up and he said, I received this letter today from a member of the congregation, I think. But there isn't really any content on it, but they have taken the trouble to sign it. <laughs> if it's anonymous, ignore it. 
That's a really important, important message for young people because there's often things given through social media that's anonymous. If it's anonymous, ignore it. If somebody really cared about you and cared about the situation, they talk to you face to face. And ask yourself, what spirit is it set in? Sometimes criticism can be constructive and there are things that we need to do and things that we need to learn and we need to isolate that from a general impression of ourselves. Find out a little bit more about it and see if we can get it right. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it can be quite destructive to us. And I want to take you to Psalm 141. I'm nearly finished. Psalm 141 and verse 5. Because this is an amazing verse. Um, and it says in it that really effectively the, the fruit of what's being said is a mark really of whether that person is doing something in the right spirit or not. It says, let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. In other words, what comes out of that is a sense that this is done in a right spirit and therefore I can sense it's done in a right spirit and even though it might be that there are things that are going wrong, it's good that they've been pointed out. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. How you feel and the spiritual impact that it has for you determines, if you like, the spirit in which it was said. Paul goes on to say, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in Christ God forgave you. And then we're going to go to our final piece of scripture in John 5, because this is really how we guard ourselves, spiritually guard ourselves from the things that can be said into our hearts and lives. John 5 and verse 16. John 5 and verse 16. Jesus, of course, received criticism. He received criticism from his disciples. At one point, even mum and the brothers turned up and asked whether he was going mad. And of course, the disciples, not just the disciples that were closest to him, but the wider ones criticized him, particularly when they all abandoned him and only the 12 were left. And of course, in above all of that, he had the constant criticism of the religious leaders, scribes, and elders. How does he survive it? Well, in verse 16, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does, for the father loves the son. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Jesus had this wonderful knowledge that completely centered him, that he was loved, but he was loved, but he was loved of his father. 
And when he comes out of the waters of baptism, God does not say to him, right, I'm going to equip you now. I'm going to give you all that you need. I'm going to, you've got all the right skills. You've done all the courses that you can do. You've got your certificates. Now go out into the desert. He says, you are loved of me. And if you know that, that will enable you to receive everything that I have. Because Jesus says, I do what I see my Father doing. How does he, how does he see it? How does he receive it? Because he has this unshakable knowledge of the love of God and the value of God the Father for him. Thank you. Let's pray, shall we? Just to finish our service together. Let's pray. Father God, things will be said and are said to us that can be both constructive, enabling us to see things in a new light and helping us to do things, or destructive. And when they are destructive, we pray, Father, that we won't come into agreement with them. We won't create that landing strip for them to redirect the course of our lives. But we would have such a revelation of the love that you have for us. Let that be in us the means by which we are able to discern wisely and receive rightly the things that come to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Right. Do we have time?